There's a war that's going on for your soul. I think I've said that every week. And we found out that if we really want to dig trenches of truth and develop new thought patterns as God is renewing our minds, that we have to repeat things. To break out of old habits, it takes effort. Um, So find Cheryl was already sharing with us some from Philippians chapter 4. Those verses she mentioned earlier, we did that a few weeks ago, but we're going to back up a few verses before that. And uh, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look in verse 4 here in just a moment. But um, your soul, that is your mind, your will, and your emotions. The real you. The real you on the inside. See, the, the you that we kind of know on the outside, that's the, that's the physical you. But the real you is who is inside looking out. And uh, sometimes we refer to it. We use a lot of different terms. Sometimes we refer to it as our heart, right? Um, it's the unseen part of us. Are you with me? Okay, good. Where we process information and where we feel things deeply etc. All right. So the life that we have, we've been talking about this, that this whole series is about really growing in Christ. Okay. The life that we have is a reflection of how we think. And uh, in changing our lives, the first thing that happens is the Lord uh, begins to change our mind. And there's a Bible word for that, and it's called repentance. As we turn and change our mind and, and, and put our trust in Christ, realizing that we're sinners. And uh, not only that, that after we're saved, because you can be saved in a moment. As you put your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. There's a Bible word for that too, and it's called justification. Your sins are forgiven. And then at that moment, your name's written in heaven. Heaven is your home. But it's more than that. God not only wants to take you to be with him forever, he wants to live in you right now. And so there's another thing that starts happening. He begins to change us and to make us new, to set us apart, renewing our minds. There's a Bible word for that too, and it's called sanctification. And that's what we've been talking about. Solomon said thousands of years ago, as a person thinks in their heart, that's who they really are, okay? Uh, so uh, what do we know about this study? And we're doing a parallel study using Groeschel's Winning the War in Your Mind, and these sermons kind of going alongside it. Some of you are meeting in small groups. We're also meeting here, by the way, six o'clock, and doing a little class on this, um, This week, uh, we're going to kind of finish that part up. But anyway, so what do we know about this as we're as we're studying and and reading that Bible study and as we're we're meeting together and we're doing all this and, and, and these messages? What are we learning about winning the war for our mind and in our mind? And we know this, that most of life's battles are won or lost in the thoughts, in the mind. And it's impossible for you to have a, and me to have a positive life if we have a negative mind. I've had times that I've struggled with allowing, I don't know about you, but I've had times where I've had tremendous struggles with allowing negative and, uh, thoughts and irrational worries just run wild. Okay? So remember this. Okay, you ready? Uh, here's, here's where we're, we're going to be looking. Uh, but remember this, remember this right here. 
We're going to talk about worshiping your way to a renewed mind. That praise and worship and thanksgiving and prayer are key to changing even how our brain works and our life, our minds. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. That's one thing we do know. And what we think shapes who we are. Uh, that's something that we, we know for sure. And um, so that's good news if our thoughts are good. And it's really bad news if our thoughts are not good. If they're bad or negative or evil or whatever. So what do I do when I get just like this flood? Am I, am I the only one? You got to give me a little interaction here. Am I the only one that sometimes just has this flood of, of negative thoughts just pop up? Right? Or, or how about this? Not just negative. How about selfish thoughts? How about anxious? When I'm talking about anxious, think of anxiety. Because part of my way that I am just like basically wired, I like to fix things. I like to fix things in other people's lives more than I really like to fix things in my own. Okay. Uh, so we all have that. No, we all have those times where there are runaway negative thoughts and thoughts that lead to worry, thoughts that lead to anxiety. How about this? Thoughts that lead to panic. That's why the Lord had Paul write this in Philippians chapter 4. Because uh, we're not the only ones. And there are principles at work here. And this is the last principle in our study. And if you're doing the book study along with it, this is what he called the rejoice principle. Revive your soul, reclaim your life. Okay, that's where we're at. And you can go into a lot more detail in this in small groups and in going through this study. Coming here tonight, things like that. Let's read the text. Are you ready? All right, so make sure you have your Bible ready. I'm going to put these up there, and you can follow along. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Here's where we're going to start. So we're back in Philippians 4, and he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then verse 7, he says, when that happens, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, your ability to comprehend, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and, say it with me, your minds in Christ Jesus. All right. And so uh, Cheryl mentioned these. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, these next couple of verses. Verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice. So you got to think on them and then you got to do them. Practice these things. And the God of peace promise will be with you. Amen. All right. He will guard our hearts and our minds. Do you see that? Now we've been talking about both scripture and science in this study. God is the God of science. 
Sciences actually, as Lord Kepler said, thinking God's thoughts after him. And we know that when we study science, that it goes right along with what the Bible's teaching. We know as we study science that there is this little almond-shaped portion of the brain called the amygdala. All right? The amygdala. All right, let's, let's just take a look at it. Right there it is. There's that little tiny little tiny, tiny portion of the brain right there. It looks like, as I said, an almond. It's an interesting part of the brain. Uh, and uh, it's, it's part of your brain that wires you for survival, right? Um, if, if you ever find yourself in a moment where it's like fight or flight, uh, it's, it's because your amygdala has been actively engaged and sends all this adrenaline. It's a defense mechanism too. Uh, so anytime you're in danger, this, this little God-given part of the brain, it kicks in, sends all that adrenaline, and it's to try to help us when we're, protect us when we're in danger. I mean, it's like uh, whenever you um, are driving and someone swerves and you just, you know, without having to think, oh, wow, someone's getting in my lane. I guess I better take evasive actions. I better drive. It's just like, I'm not, you just, it's a reflex, right? It's protection. It's the same reason why whenever I was uh, a teenager at home and my younger brother would catch me sitting in the recliner like this, do not do this to me, please. I'm being vulnerable here. That there's one thing he did, Clarissa remembers, she got to see what happened. He come up and he just thumped me right on the funny bone. And it ain't a bit funny, okay? Because before I could even think, I had jumped up out of that recliner and me and him were about to face off. I mean, it was like, Rah! it's kind of like, that, that, that's kind of my, my amygdala just like, and, and, and the rest of my brain was just like, Hey, what's happening here? You know? And, and before I knew it, man, we were about to tie up. Okay. Uh, that happens at times. Uh, it can help you. And in part of it is good. It's designed to help you respond quickly without even having to think like the time turkey season starts tomorrow, Right. Quite a few years back, I was actually right behind here, the church here, and I was turkey hunting, and nothing had worked out that morning. So you know how it is, guys. It's it, you know it's on up in the day. It's getting about eleven o'clock, and so it's it's warm. It's nice. I'm under a tree, sitting cross-legged, and uh, I am. I've got my favorite mouth. Call. I got my box call, my favorite one. And sometimes you know you just kind of do like a little lost call, just a feeding call, and maybe maybe there's some gobbler. They're not answering, you know. Maybe there's some old boss gobbler out there and all his girlfriends have, have left, you know, and all of a sudden he finds himself by himself and he hears that and he's going to say, well, hey, that sounds unique, <laughs> right? I've never heard a hen sound quite like that before. I'm going to sneak over and check it out. That's worked out for me a couple of times, right, through the years. So that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting there, I'm relaxing, and I'm just enjoying. big part of the joy is just being out there, right? And it's a nice day. It's getting a little windy, but it's warm. I'm sitting there in the woods. I'm sitting at the base of a tree trying to be you know, camouflaged and all that. My legs are crossed and I see something out of the corner of my eye, something moving. Then I feel something and this gigantic black snake crawls across my thigh. I didn't have to think I set the world record for high jump from a setting cross leg position just like that. And I broke my favorite box call. And the snake didn't know what he, I, my camo was working. I mean, and it scared him so bad. Now, this is a black snake, right? 
You know, you, gotta, you don't want them getting in your chickens and things like that. But, you know, they do a lot of good. But uh, I didn't know when a black snake was that alarmed. I guess they maybe have this in their brain too. But he coiled up and started hissing at me. And have you ever seen a black snake vibrate his tail? I'm not making this up. I'm like, you're not a rattlesnake. And you're going to do this to me? Well, let's just say... If there was any turkey or any people anywhere, they knew I was there by that time. They knew I was there. And the black snake, he paid dearly for his little stunt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But the problem is, is that the amygdala is pre-programmed for panic. And it can go off, you know, when we think there might be danger. All right. So this is a part of us. Now, we find out in this study that it's up to the, free, the prefrontal cortex of our brain. And there's where it is that this part of our brain is uh, it's up to it to filter things out. And it's the, it's the part that's in charge of logic and to sort out those that are real threats from those things that are not real threats. And, and to help us to have a little bit of self-control, right? Because some of us, this thing gets so wired and, and you know, we, we get so into it that somebody can just say the wrong thing and we fly off. It's a different type of defense. But you know what I'm saying? Or that we think something or see something and we panic and we're scared. And uh, so this is part of us. And remember, because we are cursed by sin, sin cursed the flesh. Our flesh has been cursed. It, uh, sin is in our DNA. Okay, that affects our brains. Our mind, our soul has to work through our body, which includes this organ of gray matter that you see there, the brain. And uh, so in changing our minds and changing our lives, now scientifically we can even study and see how it does change our brain. At one time they thought that after you reached a certain age, the brain just kind of quit changing and quit growing. We now know that's not true. I think that's called neuroplasticity, where that it continues to change. And as you develop different skills, and there are some bad things that we have that as they weaken and as good things begin to, to strengthen, that different parts of our brain, they can actually see it on a scan. And that's what, that's what we're talking about here. So what I need is for uh, somehow or another my will, my mind to grow to the point that I'm operating differently. Because there's going to have times come up where I'm going to fly off the handle. Everyone knows what that means, right? Fly off the handle. I'm not quite sure. It's kind of like an axe fly off the handle. It's just like you're going wild, you're going crazy. I don't know where that actually comes from because I didn't even know I was going to say it. If I knew I was going to say it, I would have looked it up, you know, already. So uh, you got to get something in charge of that. But anyway, uh, you fly off the handle or you panic. So my question is, is, is what causes you to panic? What causes you to just kind of like go berserk? It could be anger. It could be panic. It could be anything like that. I mean, there's some people that are still panicked by this virus. Or if not by the virus, by all the things that have happened as, our, our, as we tried to deal with it. It's just it's thrown a lot of things. You know, our whole lives have been different. There are some people that really are. Um, it could be other problems with your health. It could be the doctor says, you know what? We need to take a biopsy of that. Many of you have been there. Boom. It's natural. That's going to happen. Um, it could be relationships. It could be something going on with your kids, your grandkids. Woo! Your job. Could be finances. It could be trouble in your marriage. Um, it could be that you grew up in a home that fell apart. There was fighting, there's argument, it fell apart, and, and you've always kind of felt like it, you, it was your fault. It wasn't your fault. 
but you felt that way. And so in now in your adult life, as there is tension or there's problems, you, you get panicky because you feel like everything's going to fall. It could be a lot of different things. It could be something traumatic that happened, an accident. Um, you know, you could have been attacked by a chicken. And now you have this irrational fear of chickens. It happens to people. Okay? Uh, in the book, he gives the illustration of a blue van that had, a guy had road rage and stuff and how that affected him. Uh, it could be loud noises. And some people that have the uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from battle or from different things, they hear things and it triggers and the uh, amygdala goes off and all of a sudden, you know, uh, it, you're just in a state of panic and then you don't, even, you don't think about it. It just happens. This is part of how things operate for us. But it can just be simple things that happen. For me, get a little personal here. Um, I'm not the only one, but sometimes I do get creeped out by some clowns. Okay? I'm just going to say it. Don't take this information and try to do mean things to me. Okay? Because it's not all clowns. I've grown there's several reasons why that some of these disturb, and I don't know why people, you want to watch these scary murder movies and stuff and scare ourselves. You know, some of these horror films, that they have clowns in them. I'm not watching them. I do not need that kind of entertainment. I mean, we're already paranoid and scared of the dark anyway. And because of stuff you see on TV, you get into the car at night, and you're going to turn and look and see if there's anybody in the back seat with an axe. You would have never thought of that. And why do we do that? I mean, humans are the only creator God created that gets a kick out of scaring themselves crazy. You know? You don't see cows going and hanging out at the slaughterhouse like, oh, watch what happens here. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? Why do we do that? And I've honestly talked to people that have problems with panic and problems with fear and some other problems. And I find out they're watching this stuff all the time. What you take in, right? How you program in the mind is how the mind just takes hold in there. Okay, well, anyway, I don't watch any of those and I'm still bothered by some clowns. Now, the traumatic incident that happened to me, I have mentioned before, but, um, but before that, I had good experience with some clowns, such as the real bozo. I've mentioned the real bozo before. Um, some of you that grew up in Arkansas, okay, you know, uh, Kenny, you might remember the real bozo lived in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was a guy named Gary Weir, the real bozo. I loved bozo. Some of my friends got to go be on Bozo's show, but I never did get to do that. And Bozo would say some of the, the, the craziest things, you know, like gee willikers, right? You know, things like that, remember? And, and how about this one? How about this one? He would ask kids. So he goes, do you walk to school or carry your lunch? Right? And the kids would be like, huh? Or, or when's your birthday? In, in October or September? Uh, right? Right? Or how smart are you? 100 or 45? 45, you know, it was just, Bozo was just good. You know, I went to a traveler's ball game in Little Rock and Bozo and some of his buddies were playing the travelers before the game and Bozo hit the ball and he ran to third base, a crazy guy, it was so funny. I liked Bozo. And then there's that sad, well, what was he, what was he called? Weary Willie, uh, Emmett, Emmett Kelly's clown that he did, you know, uh, and all his, you know, it was just lovable and all of that. So uh, Ronald McDonald never trusted Ronald McDonald too much. He 
could go either way. Just keep your eye on him. But here's what, oh, and, but so sometimes it can be good. I'm not, I'm not going to discredit them totally. Some of you may, may be a thing you do is you do a clown thing. But, um, and then teachers accuse me of being a clown. That was very insulting and hurtful to me, by the way, growing up. Uh, but, uh, but I remember one time when Chris and I were just kids, basically, we're living in Oklahoma City. And the big city, we're actually living in Moore, and I was pastoring in Oklahoma City, pastoring full time. I'm 21 years old, uh, and we already have a kid, and things were going really difficult, had a lot of stress. I was in way over my head and pastoring at church and everything. And I remember one day I was just ready. I'm just like, Lord, life is no good. I've messed everything up, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I pull up on, on Shields Boulevard. I pull up, it's like, you know, six lanes or something, but they got stoplights, and I, I pulled up there, and I stopped, and you know how you do? You just kind of casually look over at the person in the next car. I did that. I looked over a person in the car right beside me. And it was a dude in full funny clown get up. There was a clown. And you're not ready for that. And I kind of looked. And uh, he smiled at me. And I smiled back. And I gave him a thumbs up. And he had a bicycle horn. And he took it up and honked it at me. I mean, it's like, here I'm having a bad time. I'm actually praying as I'm driving. And Lord, you sit. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. But I wish all stories were that good because the scary ones do freak me out. I'm spending way too much time on clowns. But anyway, the reason why is when I was about nine or 10 years old, my dad rodeoed a lot. He's a team roper. My dad was a healer, <laughs> not that kind of healer. I mean, he roped the heels, right? You have a header and a healer. And I thought everybody grew up, you had a dummy in your yard, you know, or you practiced and everything. But anyway, so we were at rodeos and went around to rodeos. I love to watch bull riding. I love, I, I, at that time, I liked the rodeo clowns and things like that. But uh, I was running around, you know, it was probably, I think, calf roping or something was going on. And I was getting in trouble, hanging with some of the other guys. Mom and dad wanted to keep a close enough eye on me. Uh, and, and what I was doing is I was pestering this little girl. Now, in my nine-year-old mind, I was really flirting with her because I, I liked her, okay? I thought she was cute. But when you're nine years old, how you flirt with a girl is you torment them and you pester them. And I made this little girl mad. And evidently, she went and told her dad. And pretty soon, I'm standing there with a couple other guys and her and the rodeo clown come walking together and she's pointing at me. Her dad was the rodeo clown, the other guys see him coming to me and they split. So here I am, a little guy, and the rodeo clown comes up and gets right in my face and, as we say, bawled me out. He chewed me out, spit flying out of his mouth. He has this painted face and he's right down there with his scary eyes and he's right down there pointing at me and telling me all this stuff that he's going to do if I bother his little girl. Now I remember one of the last things he told her. He says, if he does it again, slap the fool out of him. He kept saying that phrase over, slap the fool out of him. I'm like, you don't want this clown. But anyway, slap the fool out of me. Now, that was traumatic. I panicked. I was confused. You know, this coming from, he forgot he was already dressed up as the clown. You know, and he's chewing me out and right down there on me like that. See, this was, this was very early in my life and it affected me. Now, I'm sure that really he probably was dressed more like this guy, which that's Liesl Harris, which is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm sure he was, but I'm telling you folks, when he came at me and chewed me out and telling her to slap the fool out of me, he looked more like that. 
that's what I saw. I got to get that off of there. That's too scary. But uh, sometimes then, you know, you, you, and I'll never forget one time, you know, I'm, I'm, I've grown, I've matured, I can handle this. I'm just not crazy about all clowns. I remember being at Cox South Hospital. Remember we could go visit people in the hospital? And uh, I got in the elevator, in their main elevators, and there's two people in full clown gear got in with balloons. They were happy clowns, not mean-looking clowns. Uh, and they were in there. They were going up, and I was going to the fifth floor. And, you know, <laughs> I'll just say before we got to the fifth floor, it got a little tight in there. Okay? It just got a little tight. Prayer, though, changes things. Hallelujah. You can have all these weird phobias and things that bother you, but it's good to know that in, in remaking us, God can take us through some things. Paul says in our text, in everything, not just some things, there's nothing too small. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to think about, it's big enough to pray about. And when we do what these verses tell us, here's what we find out, is that it actually activates a different part of our brain. Over time, there will be noticeable, watch this, noticeable changes in the actual brain. As our mind is renewed, our brain actually is physically changed. As the fruit of the Spirit begins to flow through our minds, rewiring even our brains. I need that. As I said, don't forget, we're in the flesh, your soul, including your mind, and we're cursed, we're, we're, we're cursed by sin. It has to work through an organ called the brain. Because we've been cursed by sin, it tends toward selfishness, and it tends toward dysfunction. Okay? And the amygdala part of our brain is all panic. And as I said, the prefrontal cortex is all logic. So the problem with the amygdala is it responds according to that pre-programming. In other words, had you unintentionally offended the clown's daughter, and if you had been chewed out by the rodeo clown, you might also be a little bit suspicious of clowns. Right? And it was something about his breath as he got that close. It just had an edge to it. And I, as I got older, I know it's like, why, well, that's old number seven. He's been, got in that little thing in his pocket. But anyway, so that's what I'm saying. Things that happen to us, it, it, it is pre, you might think some clowns might actually attack you. Had you been almost attacked by one. All right, cut me some slack. Uh, so I don't know what it might be in your life, but, but because of some hurt, some fear, some trauma, some bad thing you've gone through, or maybe even a misunderstanding of something, uh, my guess is that there are certain people, there are certain places, there are certain events, there are certain things uh, that can trigger you with feelings of, of anxiety and fear and tension. And without even, without even trying, it's just automatic. Your mind will run to the worst case scenario where you find yourself sometimes short of breath, Panicking and trying to control things that you know you can't control and completely overwhelmed with a runaway mind. That's why Paul wrote this. Remember when he wrote this, where was he? To the Philippians. He was in prison. Awaiting possible execution. That's a little bit of a stressful situation, wouldn't you say? 
chained up to a Roman guard who probably smelled worse than that clown. And so, but this is why he said, instead of being anxious, right? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's why then later he says, so don't be anxious about anything. Rejoice in the Lord. And it has to be in the Lord because without him, there's nothing to rejoice about. It has to be in the Lord. That's where our joy comes from. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And then he repeats it again, I say. Unlike me who just repeats things to hear myself talk, Paul doesn't do that. He does it only for emphasis. Again, this is important. Underline it. Put it in bold. I say rejoice. Now, to me, my definition of rejoicing is when you've got the real joy of the Lord in you and it comes out you. Joy, and then it comes out rejoice. Rejoice. Okay? Um, So, this is going to produce something different in our lives. You know it. Because, hey, you don't want to be like teenagers. You don't want to be like everybody else. You want to be different. And you need to be like this. Because everyone knows how teenagers want to be different. I just want to be myself. I just want to express myself and be different by trying to act and look like all the other teenagers. Does that still happen? Nobody says it. Parents are nodding. All teenagers are just like, Stone cold face. You want to be different, be like this. Because when you do this in your worship, prayer, rejoicing, all of this will change you, change your brain, rewire your brain. And here's what happens. It will show. You're going to be different. People are going to say something's different about you. That's why, did you notice in that verse he says, let your, why did he say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Some translations say gentleness. The old, old English says moderation. Well, that word that is translated there, um, it, it really, it means, it means to be different. It means to be kind of chill. It means you're in control, not out of control. It means you don't react like you did before or like they do. There's something different about you. There's a self-control. There's a peacefulness. Watch me. There's patience. There's gentleness. There's kindness. There's a faithfulness that didn't used to be there. Doesn't that sound like the fruit of the Spirit? Yes. That didn't used to be there. You know, a lot of times prayer is our last offense. When really it should be our first line offense. About everything. And that's why he says pray about everything. Remember, worry, as it's been said, is the sin of distrusting the promises of God. And if something is big enough to worry about, as we said already, it's big enough to what? Pray about. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.16 said, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldness. You can come confidence and boldness to the throne of grace. See, the Jews at one time were, were shut out from the very presence of God by that veil in the temple. But now he says, you can go behind that. You can go boldly yourself to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. That's me. I need help. I need mercy. I need grace in time of need. You can find that, he says, and you can boldly with confidence go there in prayer anytime, anywhere, no matter what. You don't have to have fancy words. You don't have to have no what 
you know, you just talk to him like you talk to anybody, like you would talk to your best friend. Everything, in everything, he says, by prayer and supplication. Now, prayer, that's generally just talking to God. Supplication, that's where you share earnest, deep needs and problems. And he says, with thanksgiving. Don't leave that out. As I begin to think sometimes about all things that aren't right around here, there's times that I get in a, in a panic and I have to back up and just start going through and thanking God for things that didn't happen, that haven't happened, and thank, thank, thank God for all the blessings that we have. And, 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 and I have to work through that because I'll say like, cast your cares on the Lord. He tells us, right? Uh, Peter tells us because he cares for you. And I do that. Lord, I just cast my cares upon you. I just leave them with you. And thank you, Lord. In Jesus name. Amen. And then it's like, okay, Lord, somehow or another they're back. All right. That's five minutes later. And we got to do this again. And, and it's a process. It's a process of, of the Lord changing our focus and our perspective. Um, he already knows your need. He says, let everything be, known, be made known. Did you see that in the, in the verse there? It says, let your request be made known to God. Now, it's not like God doesn't know already. He knows, but he's saying that to you because he says, bring it on, okay? He wants you to bring it. Bring it. He knows, but you need to bring it. Bring it on and then bring it to him. Let go of it. Leave it with him. Did you notice what he says next? Don't forget this. I've read this a lot and I always am just, yeah, that's good. I'm comforted by that little phrase, the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. I've always read this and that just kind of is there, but it really came alive to me as I was studying this week. The Lord is near. Um, let's just think about that for just a moment before we move on and wrap this up. He reminds us of this. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. He's at hand. He's right there. That's what that means. He's near. It's not just that his return is at hand. He is. He's here. And knowing he's near and having faith in that fact, it changes the way I think and the way I behave. It helps me to not be anxious but to be in prayer. Do you ever get to the point where you feel like you just can't handle one more thing? That's the way it usually goes, isn't it? I've been reading in my personal just reading time through Job again. And it's just like boom, 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 boom. Everything happened. You know, and you ever feel that way sometimes? You just feel like I can't handle one more thing? Or like my mom used to say, you guys, you guys are on my last nerve, right? She had that last nerve. And I didn't ever understand it, and, but, but I do know this. I do know this, that when you were on it, it was not a safe place to be, right? And I always wondered why it was always the last nerve. I'm like, you know, why couldn't you say like, okay, this is like fifth to the last, okay? Give us a little heads up there, maw, right? It's always last nerve. Maybe you feel like you're on your last nerve. Well, guess what? We got so many examples in the Bible. Elijah was a good example of that. He even came to that point of being uh, at the end of his rope. He reached the end. And you find that in 1 Kings 19. He had seen God's, if you remember that story? He'd seen God's power on Mount Carmel in the chapter before. And he called it, you know, people in Israel had turned from God and going after this false God that was a made up God. There's all kinds of raunchy stuff went on when they worshiped him. It's called Baal. 
And they were worshiping Baal, had all these false prophets of this false god. And, uh, and he had this contest, you know, that with them on Mount Carmel and the God that answers by fire is God. And you remember that awesome story of how that Elijah built that altar and God sent fire down from heaven and consumed the whole thing and the rocks and licked up the water and the, everything around it. And the people began to, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Prophets of Baal were all destroyed. And it looks like, wow. This has done it. The nation is going to turn to God. I think that's what was going on. I think, my opinion, in Elijah's mind, the nation is going to turn to God now. And Ahab was the king. And, you know, there had been this drought. God's trying to get their attention. And now the Ahab, Ahab I mean, all the, uh, all the Baal prophets have been put down. And, and he tells Ahab and he prays. And now here comes a cloud. It's going to rain. And so he takes off running. And God supernaturally gives him the ability to run ahead of Ahab all the way back to kind of the headquarters in Jezreel. And I think that Elijah thought that, man, revival is happening. And now Ahab is going to take the lead. And the whole nation's going to repent and turn back to God. But instead, Ahab gets there and tells his wife, Jezebel, what's happened, she happened to be a daughter of a priest of Baal. And what happens is, is she puts a hit out on him. She signs a death warrant for him to be carried out within 24 hours. All right, now think a minute. Here's Elijah. He's seen all this stuff happen. He's seen fire fall from heaven. One against hundreds against the prophets of Baal. And all this happens. And then now he's afraid of her. And he runs for his life. He takes off. I don't think it's because he's afraid of her. I just think he thought things were going to go different. And he thought people were going to repent. And instead of that, the tide turned just like that. And now they're not thanking him for standing up for God. And people aren't still saying, the Lord, he is God. They turned already. And they want to kill him. I think he felt like he's a failure. I think he felt like I'm, and he says it later, I'm no different than my father's. In fact, here's where we find him. He runs off and he gets an, an ax. I mean, first Kings 19, four, he says, but he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. What's the point, Lord? Been there? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to take my life, but I wish you would take me out of here. He prayed, he asked that he might die, saying, it's enough, I've had it. Hmm? End of the rope, you see it? It's enough, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. What does he mean by that? Well, all of them, the ones that stood up for the Lord, none of them ever convinced anybody. The Lord would send his prophets, they would kill them, ignore them, go right back to the way they were. He thought things were finally gonna change, I believe. He says, I'm no different, no better, I'm a failure. I failed you. This, I'm done. Well, that's when the Lord, the first episode of Touched by an Angel, actually. God sent an angel and touched him, you know, and you know, told him to eat and all of that. We can relate to this, can't we? This is good because the people that God uses, like Elijah, who I think is awesome, they weren't fearless, were they? They were faithful. It's not that there's never any fear present in our hearts and minds. Faith is not the absence of fear. But what faith is, is the trust in a greater God and in in, in a stronger trust in him in the presence of your greatest fears. It's replacing your doubts one drop at a time with what God's word says. That's what it is. 
So then after this, Elijah, you know, goes to Horeb, which is the Mount of God. That's where God spoke to Moses. And he goes there and he holds up in a cave. You remember that story in that chapter? And then the Lord says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he has him go out and stand on the mount. And it says the Lord passed by. And it says there was a strong wind. You remember that? And then secondly, in the earth, the, the, the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. And the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. I mean, it was the original earth, wind, and fire. And, and, but God wasn't in any of that. And then all of a sudden, there was a still, small voice. A low whisper. Why did God whisper? I mean, he'd seen fire fall from heaven. God could have been any of that, but it wasn't any of that big stuff. It was the faint whisper. Because God wants us to get still and focus on him if we're going to hear his voice. The other thing is, why do you whisper? You whisper because you're near. The Lord is at hand. He's near. He could whisper because he's saying, Elijah, what are you doing? I'm right here. I've always been right here with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm right here. What happens to us, what happens to me is when I fixate on the problems, I lose focus of his presence. Just like Peter did when he was walking on the water. I fixate on the problem. I lose focus of his presence. He's close. The enemy shouts and tries to intimidate you. But the Savior whispers because he's right there by your side. So I started to put this thing up, say, this is your picture of your brain. Remember how they used to do those drug commercials? This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs and it's showing egg frying in a pan. Well, he's telling us here, this is your brain on prayer. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love the way that verse flows because literally the word that he used for guard is like a word they use of a sentinel that marches around something protecting it. He's constantly surrounding your mind, your heart. The peace of God is protecting. I need that. I need that. And that's what happens when we pray, when we rejoice, when we worship, when we thank him. So my mind, it's essential for your mind to stay mindful of the presence of God. He is near. That's why that one little phrase there, the Lord is at hand, is so powerful, right? Make your request known. Because if you don't stay focused on his presence, then you won't talk to him. And let your request be known. And then you won't rejoice. And then you won't be thankful. You won't have his peace guarding your heart and mind. Scripture tells us and teaches that prayer, praise, and worship is used by the Lord to renew your mind. As I said, even science has come along and confirmed that. In a study, it goes into more detail of this, but Dr. Carolyn Leaf in her book, Switch on Your Brain, said, quote, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan, end quote. So not only does prayer touch the heart of God, it even changes your brain. So if I'm going to win this battle inside of me, I've got to do what he's talking about in these verses. And I've got to rejoice. And I've got to realize he's, at, he's near. It's going to show in my life. This reasonableness, this gentleness is going to show in my life. And I am going to take everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. 
I'm going to take it to the Lord. Um, And here's what I know is that just as toxic thoughts and negative thoughts harm your brain, prayer heals your brain. Did you know that? All this junk we're taking in from our society and from media and from movies and from just life, it's toxic. But prayer is healing. And being in the word of God and in prayer and in worship, it's healing to our brains. It literally renews your mind. It transforms you. Remember when Paul and Silas were in prison, when he first went to Philippi? When he first went and preached to these people he's writing to? They were thrown in prison, him and Silas. But first of all, they were beaten with a big old rod, probably. They were beaten with a whip. I don't know. They were thrown in prison. They were bleeding. They were bruised. And it says they were thrown in there and chained up. You remember that story in Acts 16? At midnight, they started praising the Lord and singing hymns and, and praising. They weren't praising God for what happened. They could be saying, Lord, is this what we get for trying to just do what you tell us? We get treated like this. This is unfair. One little thing not go the way we want it. And we just want to forget it, Lord. But no, not these guys. They weren't happy about the what. They were praising the who. God. And it was, they didn't know what was going to happen. See, you cheated. You've already read the whole story. Paul and Silas hadn't read the whole story yet. They didn't know that as they were praising God at midnight, he was going to sit in an earthquake and open the doors of the prison and break their chains and set them free. They didn't know that. So they were praising. As they were praising God in spite of what happened. Praising God for who he is. And it happens like this in our life too. First, there's praise. And after the praise, we get a deeper sense, a deeper perspective of his presence. Praise, prayer, worship, thanksgiving changes our perspective, right? As we do that, we're in tight spot, but we begin to pray, pray, praise, thank God, worship. And as we do that, our perspective changes. Our new perspective leads us to pray and to praise even more, which in turn changes our perspective even more, and so on and so on. And once this happens, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you got to go through me to get to him or her. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you.